0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. What's going on, Ravens Flock? We are here with episode three, the new edition of the Believe in Ravens podcast with myself, Kyrie Thompson, and former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. This is this is our second episode, testing out the whole the new dynamic duo. Dynamic. How you doing, my man? Man, I'm great, Kyrie. Um, I, I
0: honestly, man, I can't be excited enough to start number three, man. Looking forward to this episode. Felt like the last one flowed really well. And um, we know everybody don't know we we're just getting to know each other as well. So as we do this thing, you know, and all none of this stuff is scripted, people. Just so you know, none of this stuff is scripted. Oh. You know, we're coming off the top of the dome, and you know, like like Kyrie asked me questions, I asked him questions, and we just kind of play back and forth with a little playful banner. And um, it turns out pretty cool sometimes, but you know, man, it's been my pleasure already, you know, Kyrie, to meet you and, and and to do
1: this thing with you, brother. And and hopefully this thing turns into something really, really good. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun with it. And I think ultimately like, that's what it is, right? I spend all day listening to radio. Like, that's my job. And like, you know, scripting conversations and, and, and producing segments and things like that for public radio. And, you know, in the end, like, yeah, you script certain things, you got certain topics you want to come in and talk about. But the best Mm -hmm. stuff is when it's just a conversation. Right. And sometimes you take it in a whole different direction and and you're just just trying to vibe. You're just trying to set, you know, up a good, relatable conversation people can get into. And I feel like, you know, that that always makes you feel good. I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know you a little bit over the past couple of weeks. This is fun stuff. And it's especially fun for me because, look, in the end like we've established this, I'm, you know, like not, you know, from the Baltimore area. Right. But in the end, I, I'm a football nerd. I love the stuff. Okay. I spend, (laughs) I spend way too much of my day paying attention to football, like like just entirely too much of my day, like watching and following the game. And I just love talking about it. And so it's fun to have such a receptive audience, you know, with, with, with you on the other side, indulging my questions about what it's like to be a former player and see all kinds of things. And I want to pick your brain on something right off the bat, because look, we talked about one of my draft crushes, you know, that, that ended up on the Baltimore Ravens. I would be one Zay flowers. And look, man, Mm -hmm. all I'm hearing is that this brother is down there. Just, just, just dusting people, like killing people in one-on-ones. No one can handle them scoring red zone touchdowns and, and team drills him and Lamar hooked up. I, I saw like, it looked like there was like a little fade route in the back of the end zone. He goes up and gets it. And I'm just like, this is this is everything I wanted. This is everything I wanted for Zay Flowers. And honestly, I couldn't be more happy that Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers ended up together. Because like, to me, I, I see the vision. I see how good that this can look. But I just want to ask you, like, off off the top, when the draft was going on, And it's getting down to pick number 22 and you're seeing it all unfold. Are you looking at this and being like, oh, yeah, I definitely want Zay Flowers on this team? Or or was it kind of like, um, was there somebody else on the board that you were really looking at? And then when Zay got picked, you were like, oh, interesting. What what were you thinking about that day? No,
0: to be honest with you, Kyrie, I I was actually thinking we Mm -hmm. needed a receiver. So my mind was on a receiver the entire time. Um, I didn't know who that receiver was going to be, but – I did do a little bit of my research and I watched Zay over at Boston College. I mean, he he was a very explosive phenomenal type guy. Actually kind of remind me of Steve Smith that used to play for the Carolina Panthers.
1: And then you know, and just, later on, then later on goes and plays with the Ravens. Man, I mean that yeah, and, it blew me away. And they like Steve Smith has called out Zay Flowers often just being like that kid's a dog like I love him I see all this good stuff in his game mm-hmm. and 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 I I when I talked to Zay I brought that up and basically he was like yeah no I'm I model like a bunch of like Steve gave me part of the game like right. I model stuff about you know the the way that I go about things after him and he's just like a dog recognize another dog when he see one and I'm just like absolutely hmm
0: yeah, his natural ball skills are, are superb, man. He's just, he's he's natural to the ball. Um, he he separates like no other. I love his quickness, his suddenness, and I think that's a good word for it, his suddenness in and out of the break. You know, he goes into it sudden, he comes out of it pretty quickly, and he flips his hips, gets his head around pretty quick, and he's explosive with the ball in his hands. He can make guys miss, and he plays physical. He plays bigger than than he is, and um, it, it's it's exciting to see the type of catches that he makes in traffic. He's not afraid to take the hit. Which it says a lot, you know, because back in the old days, you had to be, you had to be basically like nerves of steel to go across the middle. And this guy has made some phenomenal catches, like under pressure, and I, I love that, man. So I'm looking forward to him doing some great things on the other side or in that slot position, you know, with with Odell outside and you know Aguilar and Duvernay and and Bateman and all those guys. I think you have. I think we. This is the most dynamic receiving core since 1996. From day one, the Ravens have been an organization. They've ever had, you know, and and I think Zay Flowers is a huge, huge, huge part of that. Can't wait to see what this kid is going to do, man. And, and the best thing about it is that nobody knows what he's going to do, yeah. you know, so nobody can game plan for him just yet. So he gets a chance to kind of sneak up on a few people and make some explosive plays and make people
1: understand that he's a for real football player. And because you have vets like Odell, which I think mm-hmm. that we got to see what he is at this point in his career. It's not like he's all that old, though right it's not it's not like he's coming in here like he's like 34 years old he's he's had some injuries right and I think that that's the thing right it's it's the injuries how's the body holding up but it's like if he's anything remotely close to I think even what he was with the Rams like that's a productive player and then you have the the cast that you had last year Duvernay Bateman you know if you can keep him healthy right and Aguilar Aguilar is an interesting one that I feel like you know for me cuz cuz I've seen him the last 2 years with the New England Patriots. And so right, I've right. seen what he looks like during training camp. The brother looks unguardable. Like because again, he's another one of those quick twitch explosive guys who like he's he is impossible to cover in one-on-ones because he's he's really quick and sudden. And he can get down the field his issues are are usually about ball security it's about right. him either either tracking the ball because i feel like he has some issues sometimes tracking the ball down the field he kind of fights the ball a little bit at times yeah. and then and then fumbles just got got to secure the football when you're running with it but it's not about whether or not the dude can get open and i mean he can also get it done after the catch he's tough you know and, yeah. and, and so this is a veteran receiving core. It's not like this is a situation where Zay Flowers is coming in here and and he's got to be the number 1 because everyone else is trash. It's like they, there are there are complementary pieces that can allow him to be good but not have to be the only thing this offense has going. And then of course, we also have, you know, we, we also have Mark Andrews and Isaiah likely that you can throw the football to. You can have Lamar Jackson running the ball. Like there's a lot of good stuff on this offense. So I, I think that that's the best part of it is that it's not going to be all about, Oh, Zay you got to come in and be the savior. It's more like you get to come in and be a good player. We're going to try to maximize what you do right off the bat, but you are one piece in the machine and you can kind of come along as such. And you know, you're talking about guys that you know kind of like like there's there's sudden in and out of breaks and it's like they, it feels like they don't slow down when they cut and you talked about Devin Hester right so devin was that kind of guy to me especially as a re, as a return man where every move he made was was happening at full speed. It's like some people got to chop their feet to slow down, or they got to throw like kind of the like exaggerated hezzy or whatever, like that. Like, no, the, the dude's cutting at 100 miles an hour. Like, I, I feel like he was one of the first players that I really saw have that ability to do that. Like when they put their foot in the ground, they're accelerating out of it. And yeah. I'm just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, some guys have that ability to get a top speed,
0: like with a blink of an eye. Hester was definitely one of those guys. And when you watch Zay Flowers, it kind of gives you a little bit of that vibe as well. You know, he gets in and out of his breaks so quick. And I think I remember Aguilar having a game against the Ravens. It might have been last year or the year before, but he he really had a game against the Ravens. And I think the Ravens remember that. So they went back and picked him up. I was like, who is this kid? This kid is bowling, you know, like he's – yeah. came out of nowhere and just had, had like 10 catches or something against the Ravens, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that, cool. that might have been the Raiders year. And that I think that was yeah. his career year. We had like 900 receiving yards and he, he really popped off, especially down yeah. the field. And it's interesting with Aguilar, right, because he's a guy that in his first year with the Patriots, he was really kind of miscast. Like Mm -hmm. they, they tried to make him an outside receiver just because they didn't have any other receivers that could play that role where in Philly, they kind of did the same thing where they tried to make him an outside receiver when he started his career and he didn't really produce. And then in his third year, that was the year they won the Super Bowl. They put him as a slot receiver and all of a sudden he has the best year of his career. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, okay. You can function out of the slot. You can get going down the field. You can get going over the middle and make people miss. Like, wow, we found something in you. And then, of course, it kind of fell off in Philly. And, uh, you know, they they end up letting him go in free agency, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think that the best use for for Aguilar, actually, which will, this is what's going to be really interesting, is if you move Aguilar around which I think is what they were doing. The Patriots were doing a little bit more last year, but again, the offense was so dysfunctional. I don't really hold that against Aguilar specifically. Mm -hmm. I think if you're moving him around and potentially using him more as a slot, maybe even than Zay, that could be a very good use of him. Because again, he's got that same kind of burst and and suddenness. He can catch the ball and, and, you know, again, like make people miss in space break a tackle, and and just generally be tough. Like, I'm I'm remembering some of the plays that he made in the Super Bowl, even against the Patriots. They had all kind of problems with him, which right. I think is ultimately part of the reason they, they signed him to that contract. Bill Belichick always remembers that. He remembers if he went off against him. Think back to some of the free agency periods where it's like he, he gets a guy that went off. It might even be one time, right? Aguilar had like one hell of a game against them, and and he gets signed to a big contract with the Patriots. Devonte Parker goes off against Stefan Gilmore the one time and they got to go ahead and trade for him last year because he was he was available for a bargain, right? So coaches remember that kind of stuff, right? Teams right. remember if you go off against them, like, oh, I want to get that dude on my team.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you never forget the guy that burnt you. I, I can remember when Victor Cruz first came in the league, and oh. Rex Ryan was like, Who the heck is this kid? Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was hilarious. So when and he's out, he's out
1: there dancing on everybody, bro. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember none of us thought anything about Victor Cruz <laughs> until he, in, until he's over there salsa dancing on you in the end zone, like mm-hmm. like three times a game, and you're like, what the what the hell?
0: Absolutely. And then Odell is that guy for us, right? He's that same guy. You know, um, he, he played in Cleveland. He was in Cleveland for a couple of years and balled out against the Ravens a couple of times. You know, we got to have that guy on our team. You know, so we went and grab him, and now we get a big name like him. In the city of Baltimore, which I think is gonna really help the Ravens out a lot. You know, you're talking about the front office of the Ravens just being smart and just making smart decisions, because everybody was scratching their head at the beginning of the summer when they didn't sign Lamar Jackson trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. And everybody was confused with Eric DeCosta, like man, they should have kept Ozzy as GM and you're hearing people complaining and stuff. But I mean, I sat in the office with with you know with um DeCosta. He, he's a, a smart mind, a brilliant guy. I ain't going to you, I had no idea what he was doing. I was like, "Man, what the world is he doing?" But now, like, it all makes sense all of a sudden. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. You know, he comes up with Odell. He gets Aguilar. You know, he get the the trail. Is it Treadwell? The Treadwell kid. Laquan, yeah, Laquan Treadwell. Which Laquan Treadwell? I don't. Yeah. And,
1: and again, like, I don't know if Laquan's gonna be anything because I mean, he was a former first round draft pick. Of the I like White him, and he never and he never really did anything. But again, it's yeah. like you, you. You always wonder, right? Like is there something where he it just wasn't the right situation for him in 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 his previous stops and maybe coming here maybe we get a little bit more from him right. and and i feel like maybe like he's got that big body type that like say like a miles boykin had a couple right. years ago, which man, it really pained me that Miles Boykin didn't work out because I was he was from Notre Dame. You know, I, I was a Notre Dame graduate student. You know, so I was there. I saw a lot of Miles Boykin in person. You know, so uh, it gives you another kind of body type to just be in the room. And again, maybe another kind of tight end. You know, uh wide receiver hybrid kind of thing. You get in the red zone, which again, in the end, that's where you make your money. Right. You make your money in the red zone. you got to score touchdowns when you're down there. And Laquan Treadwell maybe is the kind of guy who can who can help with that if you're able to keep him around, whether it's on the roster or practice squad or 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 what have you. So it it really seems like they got a good diversity of body types. Right.
0: Right. I think they did a a phenomenal job of putting together the receiving core this year. And it makes you wonder, like, what happened the last couple of years? And and like Eric said, he's taking some shots and he felt like he missed some shots and guys just haven't, you know, gone all the way, you know, turned into a transition to what he thought they was. Like, I'm a huge James Prochet fan, you know, and Prochet hasn't developed the the way I thought he would either. I thought he by now – I thought he would be the Wes Welker of the Baltimore Ravens, you know, catching everything, snagging everything in the slot, because the kid is such a natural receiver, and his hands are so natural. He has the natural ability to to create separation, and he's a twitchy kid as well, man. I I liked him. I really liked him in college. I liked him when he was down at the the Reese's Senior Bowl. I was down there with him that year as an outbreak leader, and I was kind of mentoring a lot of those guys, him and Clay Chaypool, all those guys through that season. You know, um, through that senior bowl, um, couple of weeks that we get down in um, Mobile and it was fun, man. You know, I, I really enjoyed those guys. And, you know, I told the Ravens, I thought Prochet was a Raven. And, you know, I'm still waiting to see this kid, you know, show up and be the guy that I think he is, you know. So and, and, and I'm going to say this right here. I'm going to say it real quick, as quick as I can. I was that guy. You know, I was that guy that went to the New York Jets as an undrafted free agent. You know, went to Tampa Bay Buccaneers and got a chance to win the Super Bowl and didn't get a chance to play much there. And then I went over to NFL Europe and all of a sudden it clicked. And, you know, then I came back signed with the Ravens and then I started five years in Baltimore. But it also takes a lot for a coach to really see something inside of a kid or inside of a player and say, you know what? we can use this guy this way and I felt like that's who Brian Billick was for me when I got to Baltimore he saw something in me that nobody else saw not John Gruden didn't see it Herman Edwards didn't see it you know they all saw that I was a heck of a football player and I was somebody they wanted to keep on the team but they didn't see how to use me perfectly in order for me to fit into their system and it wasn't a I got to Baltimore that I flourished and I think that's what happens to a lot of these guys they don't get that second chance or that third chance you know like a Miles Boykins you was just talking about Miles I thought was an explosive guy that should have played in this league for a long time And I don't even know where he is right now you know so it's just one of those things man where you just got to get with the right squad and the right coaching staff and they see you for who you really are and, and they embrace you and
1: they love you and they help you develop that talent and you know what? The, the, the name that popped up in my mind right there was Gino Smith, right? Absolutely. Perfect example. And, and, you know, he, he, you know, goes, goes to the playoffs at one point, but you know, it is, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't stick for him, you know, with, it doesn't click. It, did it, not click. It, it doesn't click. He gets cast off. He's a backup. He comes in spot starts every once in a while, but you you, you just thought his time as a starter was up it was was up and no one was ever going to give him the chance and then last year in seattle happens and who knows if he can duplicate that like i don't know but pete carroll was that guy the way brian villick was for you because he, he nourished gino he he empowered him he he gave him a chance and now look at what look at what they got for him right now Okay. Right. They resisted the urge to trade DK Metcalf and or Tyler Lockett, and now they went ahead. Have you seen what Jackson Smith and Jigba is doing down there?
0: Have, I haven't. Is he oh, killing it? Oh my God! He's balling. Oh, he's balling God. out of control.
1: Oh my God! They can't. They can't <laughs> cover him. He's got. He's got people spinning around in circles looking for him. Which, which. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew. I knew that was gonna happen. Cause look, we call that hide and seek. <laughs> i mean seriously he's he's over there playing you he, know he's seriously playing peekaboo with the defensive backs where he's just running behind them every time they're turning trying to find him because in in like you know man coverage or whatever he'll turn and then they'll, they'll flip their hips and go look for me just runs to their blind spot he's over there pe- playing games with these people they can't they can't even see him and you know what that's the kind of thing where like i knew Zay Flowers I felt like he was going to be really good and like right. yeah, like he, he was he was a guy I really want to see succeed Jackson Smith and Jigba I, I didn't care if he runs a four six a four seven in the four. I didn't care about none of that I just yeah. knew that that guy could freaking ball and I think he's gonna I think that the Seahawks offense like passing offense with those three at the time to- mm-hmm. it, it could be disgusting so I, I'm sorry I digress you know I we, we got we got off track but sometimes i just get excited i got to talk yeah. myself you know what i mean but, absolutely but i i think like that that is really what what stuck out to me is sometimes you got to just find a guy who sees it for you and the other thing about prochet is and again you just wonder how much of it was the offense right we talked about this last time how much of this was we needed somebody different. We needed a different direction to really see what we got in these receivers in an offense in a passing offense that was mostly devoted to tight ends, yeah. right? Don't get me started talking. Don't don't get me started. And and you the know? thing is, you're a tight end, and you're over here yeah. saying like, "Don't get me started." You know what I mean? It's- yeah, I
0: mean, I I love the fact that it was it was it was um highly tailored towards the tight ends. I'm, I don't even have an issue with that. It's just to me, it was like the lack of development you know, and um, that that I saw in the offense. And, and I can remember year one when they first brought it in. I was up there in Baltimore for that training camp when I was working with the Ravens. And um, I remember watching, you know, all the interviews and listening to Harbaugh and the excitement that was buzzing around Lamar Jackson being the starting quarterback for the first full season and, um, and the new offense that they was bringing in and how explosive and how people weren't going to be ready. It was cutting edge and all this stuff that Harbaugh was saying. And I mean – it became that for that year. I mean, Lamar got an MVP year. You know, he killed the league Got 50 touchdowns. I mean, passing, rushing, you know, just killed it a hundred, I mean, a thousand some yard rushing over 3,500 yards passing. I mean, he blew up on the scene. He was He was voted number one in the top 100 by the players and coaches that year. And then that next year, I remember it didn't start off as good. You know, and that was the year that everybody's, you know, they formed big trust and everybody was saying big trust on all the interviews and stuff. And then they got rid of Mark Ingram the next year. Then um, the, the offense came back and it was the exact same by week four, week five. Lamar was frustrated and saying he was he was actually telling everybody in the public eye, man, they know they're calling out our plays before the place before we snap the ball. Yeah. You know, so that lets you know how good the NFL is. They adjusted. They review. They watch what you did. They figured out what your favorite plays were. They knew you only ran ten plays a game. You just switched the formations, and then they next next thing you know, they was calling out your plays. Hey, watch the jet sweep. Hey, watch Lamar for the um the fake lead or the fake power or whatever it's gonna be. You know, watch Mark Andrews on the over route. They yeah, they know mean, exactly this, what he, you was just by how you lined it up.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. especially since Mark Andrews like runs the over route like every other play, right? And so. Right. With, with with that with that in mind, you you know what it got me thinking of is like you know calling the offense cutting edge and everything. It's going to be like nothing anybody ever seen. I feel like that mm-hmm. was all about it was nothing. It was going to be nothing that anybody ever seen just because it was Lamar. Because right, he, absolutely, absolutely. Like let's not forget Greg Roman had a, albeit a very successful stint, but well, previous. Previous stints, it and and even before that, with Alex Smith, right? So it was Alex Smith first, mm-hmm. who also mobile quarterback, dude who could who could run. People forget right. Alex Smith could run, bro. Alex right. Smith move, and so I remember him being with Kaepernick more than Alex Smith. You know,
0: like I remember him being with Kaepernick on I think on yeah. that Super Bowl run.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so and the
0: next the next year it was nothing there either.
1: Yeah, you know. And then and then you look at you look at what they were doing in well, so so they they made the Super Bowl in 2012. So that was when they played the Ravens, right? Mm-hmm. And then in 2013, they made the NFC championship. So they had like one more good year after that with Kaepernick, where, where that, that was that was two straight years of, of real contention. And then it falls off after that. But you even look at, at those teams, right? So I'm I'm going back and looking through this right now, like as we as we as we, as we do this. And right. it's like three straight years of this, where it's your, your leading receiver is like Michael Crabtree. And then went, and then one year was Anquan Bolden, and then the next leading receiver on the on the team is Vernon Davis, who's a tight end. And then after right. that, no receiver comes even remotely close to being very productive. Like you're talking, like the next receiver, like has like 400 yards, right? Right? And 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 it, and it's just like that's that's the kind of offense that that that, that that's been going on with with Greg Roman. They ju- you just don't get a lot out of the wide receivers so this isn't Very new. True. so this isn't new so maybe with todd munkin you see a little bit more from james Prochet. because i mean i i think the way i'm i'm seeing stuff a little bit more now is like yeah you got some of the rollouts with the play action you know the, the staples of things that lamar jackson's good at but i would even expect a little bit more empty you know what i mean right absolutely. a little bit more just like a hey, lamar like we're gonna spread it out we'll motion a guy out of the backfield you see if you got man or you got zone. And then from there, you just go ahead and pick it apart. And he can do that. I feel like people sleep on his passing so much. And the fact that like the the dude knows, he knows what you're doing. Okay. He knows where to go with the football. He can figure it out like this. And so I, I think that, if you give him that opportunity to just let him cook and just like, almost like turn the, like the short passing game into like an extension of the run game and just right. get easy completions like this, I think people could be really surprised by how this looks.
0: I absolutely agree with you hundred percent. I, I think it's going to be a very explosive offense. I think it's going to take a little while to get everything settled down. Like I told you, it's like synchronized swimming with offense, yes. you know, once everybody gets on the same page and everybody starts, you know, being my brother's keeper, I think this thing is going to blow up in some people's faces. And, you know, Lamar is going to have some perfect games. and He's going to have some game where he passes over um, 400, 500 yards a game, three, four, 500 yards a game. I think he's going to surprise some people because I really think the kid is talented with his arm. I think he had one of the most talented arms in the NFL. And I think when people don't think much of it, you can't do much. You know, but when people think more of you, you can do more. You know, and I believe that, you know, Todd Munken sees exactly who he has as QB he probably has one of the most talented arms in the NFL and I think he's going to exploit it and he's going to use it quite a bit. Um I think one of the things that Roman did last year when they came out passing one game and they threw the ball like almost every play and even in that game Lamar he looked like he was all over I mean he was pinpoint he was hitting you know passes all over the field he was getting the ball to all his players and he spread the ball out well it's just a very it was just a very elementary offense that they were playing you know, the last couple of seasons and when everybody got your number and you haven't changed anything for a while, I think it makes you look worse even when you're the most dynamic player in the league. And I think this year you'll see some, some different things from him and different things from the offense with the receiving core they have now.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting to me that like at end of games when the Ravens would be down and they had to throw the football and that was, that was like the knock it's always the knock on a guy like Lamar Jackson or, you know, it's always like this coded language thing where it's like, oh yeah, those running quarterbacks, but just wait until you make them have to throw the football at the end of the game. And and, and Lamar was just constantly like, you put him at the end of the game, gotta have it, and he was always getting it. He's taking it to overtime, right. where he's putting you ahead. I mean, he would just find a way. I feel like I feel like he's put that stuff to bed. I would love to keep, see him keep doing it, though. It's, it's going to be a real interesting season from that standpoint. But I, I want to pick up on something you talked about. A little while ago, before I forget, okay, you we're talking. You were talking about Ozzie Newsome, and right. you're talking about this Ravens front offense, which is usually like regarded as either one of, if not the, like standard of the NFL right in terms of player evaluation and, and and drafting and understanding value and extending I mean I mean do, doing what they did with Lamar Jackson yeah like it, it had people sweating for a little while I mean I definitely understand that but going out and getting it done with Lamar Jackson and not right. letting the narrative about what Lamar Jackson is as a player and what what you know that people have their doubts about it. it's like no they they saw what he is and they saw how valuable he is to the organization getting Roquan Smith, who is again, you know, at the peak of his powers. So, and, and then, and then going out and restocking the cupboard with guys like Kyle Hamilton and Zay Flowers and, 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 just having, you know, Tyler Linderbaum. Right. And, and so I, I think that there's, you know, a ton of respect out there for the Ravens organization. And obviously it's Steve Bishotti now, but, you know, a guy like Ozzie Newsom is one of the most respected people in the game and right. recently and actually like literally like today or the past couple of days i'm seeing people writing like he should he should be the first person inducted into the hall of fame twice he's already in as a player as right. a tight end by the right. way right you know, it's, it's like, represent. yes re- represent man tight end is yeah. one of the hardest positions out there to play um and uh you know i think the idea that he should be in as an executive as well like have you had interactions with him and, and like, you're talking about being in the room with, with, with Steve. It's like, have you got a chance to like, like see him, you know, Ozzy Newsom, pick his brain? Like what, what, what does he mean to you? Like, I would just love to know this as somebody who's just not here. Right. You know, Ozzy is my OG man. He's, he's always going to
0: be my OG. He was one of the guys that was already a, a major staple in Baltimore when I got there. And, you know, me being, when I got to Baltimore, I was a third year guy. And he was he was a guy I would love to learn a lot from, you know, and as a player, you know, you go through these things and you're trying to figure things out. And I can share an experience with you guys. I probably never share with anybody. Yes. You know, but I I had a conversation with Ozzy, you know, one time and I was like, hey, Ozzy, it was going into an offseason. I had had a heck of a season. I want to say it was after my first season in Baltimore, my first and second season. Now, my coach in Baltimore was the best coach I had ever had in the NFL as a position coach, Wade Harmon. And um, I have a lot of love and a lot of respect for Wade. And I think Wade is a special guy. And um, he was the first guy to actually use me the way I was supposed to be used. I felt like in the NFL and allow my true talents to, to flourish, you know. But I had an opportunity to learn from Ozzie Newsom, you know, and I didn't want to let that opportunity to pass me by. And I probably did something that most guys would never do. And I went to the general manager of the team and I asked him, Hey, Ozzy, can I just watch film with you sometimes, man? Or maybe, you know, you know, do some plays and stuff with you to kind of, you know, just kind of help take my game to the next level. And then I, well, he, he told me straight up, he said, I would love to. And this is probably one of the most admirable things I think you will ever hear a, a man say. He looked at me, he was like, Wilcox, I would love to do it, you know, but you got, you got to talk to your coach and make sure it's okay with him first. And when he said that, you know, I thought about Wade, right? You know, I'm like, I love this guy. He's the best coach I've ever had. I'm balling in Baltimore for the first time in my NFL career. And I'm like, really, I really got the respect of the entire team, you know, um, the whole, everybody from the head coach all the way down. I've earned it, you know, and yeah. um, him telling me that. And it registered in my mind, like, damn, like that, that, that probably would really, you know, rub him the wrong way. If I went to him and say, Hey, you know, I want to talk to the general manager to see if he could help me you know, with routes or help me with, with technique stuff or give me some tips or anything I could get from him. And, you know, I you know I kind of chickened out, man. You know, I, I really I, I should have went to Wade and asked Wade, you know, how he felt about it, you know, but I love Wade so much. I didn't even want to put him in that predicament, man. And I didn't want I didn't I don't know how that would have made him look in the eyes of my GM. You know, I wasn't even thinking about it that way when I said it. Right. You know, so Ozzy is a guy that I, I have so much respect for and so much love for, man. And Wade, you know, Wade is like, you know, big bro, like dad, you know, uncle. Like I I, would, I, I owe so much to him, you know, him. I watched his kids grow up, and, you know, him and his lovely wife. You know, it just he's just been a he's a fixture in my family forever, man. I appreciate him for giving me the opportunity. He came and worked me out of App State when I was at App State. And yeah. if, it, if they had a draft, top, drafted Ty Heap in the first round, I would have been a Raven as a rookie. You know, but they drafted Heap. They had Shannon Sharp. They had Ben Coates. It didn't make sense for me to go to Baltimore once they drafted Heap. You know, so I ended up going to the New York Jets. And then somehow, some way, I, I ended up back in Baltimore. But Wade was the guy that came to Appalachian State yeah. and took his time as a tight end coach to put his eyes on me himself because the scouts, the area scouts, had say, hey, man, you need to go check this kid out at App State, Wilcox. And he came and worked me out for an hour, you know, I remember talking to him and having a conversation with him way back then in 2001, you know, with Wade and you know, and I love I fell in love with him then. You yeah. know, I wanted to bear I wanted to be a Raven until they drafted heap, I was a Raven. And then I ended up going to New York, man. So I had so much love for Wade that I couldn't even bring myself to, to even come to him to ask him, would it be okay for me to go meet with Ozzy? You know, but Ozzy was I remember sitting down with him on a golf cart and watching him, you know, on like a Tuesday on my day off. And they bring in guys every single week to try them out to see who they're gonna keep, who they're gonna get rid of, and sometimes it's just to you know to get a feel for the guys that are sitting on the streets right now. They're not playing right now. They'll bring them in, get a workout in, and then right. they'll take notes and they'll they'll have recollection of them. If somebody was to go down, they'll call that guy in, you know. But I remember watching him, and I was remember I was like, hey, these guys any good? Ozzy, he was like, yeah, some good kids out here, some good guys out here. He was like, I was like, this guy right here, what you think he about to run? They was actually running the 40s at the time. I was like, what you think this guy gonna run? Ozzy said, um, let's see right quick. The guy runs the, the 40. Ozzy don't have a clock on at all. He says, the 4 Um, <laughs> and then somebody, one of the scouts walked by. He said, You heard the scout say 4-4. I was like, What? Ozzy, I, was, I mean, now, now that's some you talking about some gangster stuff, like that's some James Bond type, you know. I got the, I got the, the vision. That's, you know, what it is. It's some brute, some Bruce Leroy type mess, right? I got that glow, you know what I mean. Yeah. Ozzy I just said it's about a four four, and it'll be. I, it was a four four. It was a four four, almost flat. It's crazy.
1: No, and, and I mean like, see, I love it because I think that you know what what I'm hearing right is that like he's just so, he was so good at his job that that and he'd been a player right, but then he like understands the delicate relationship of you know, being, being in the GM chair now. And it's like, look, I know how this hierarchy works. Like I know what it's like to be around the, the knowledge of the interpersonal relationships. And, And I mean, really, that's probably what, I mean, look being him, him being great is like partly, you know, the fact that he could do what you just said. Right. right. Look at a guy and be like, oh yeah, a guy just ran a 4-4. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like, okay, no, that, that that guy can move. We're like, uh, this guy, this guy looks like he's got the talent, but he doesn't have the mental makeup or what, what have you. Uh, however, right. you know, different ways you can evaluate a guy. But then to understand just how to how to construct an organization in a way where people respect each other, right? And and it and it works from the top to the bottom. Like that's special stuff. And it and is. I mean, that's why I, I view it as. I mean, if there's any one person that deserves that, like to go in twice, like oh, I, I would, I would say, you know, I would love to see that. Yeah, and, you got my vote, hands yeah. down. And, and you know, it's it's wild too because I feel like I try that with the with the forty time, mm-hmm. and I can get decently close because, like, I because I used I used to be a track guy, so like I I watch a so I'm I'm used to watching people run. Right, and so mm-hmm. I, I I could be like, okay, that guy's cooking out the blocks, but he's he's kind of slow, like he's slowing down later on. I'm like, okay, I'm like a uh, i am like I, for example, let let me give you this one. So I was at the combine in 2022. So I was down there watching, um, you know, the wide receivers workout, right? And they put on the on the. Uh, the screen that Chris olave ran like a four two six or whatever it was like that and everybody's like tripping out and I'm like ain't no way in hell he just ran a four two six that is a lie <laughs> get that off my screen okay and I was like and I was like, and, and, and I, was like I, I he ran well he ran fast but it wasn't no four two nothing and right. so I was like okay I'm gonna go with four four two. And it ended up being a 439. So I was I was close. I was was like in the ballpark. But like that's the thing. It's like that's my favorite thing. And I go around and tell everybody that I was the first person to know that Chris Olave did not run no damn 4-2. You're out here (laughs) out here lying. That clock clock was so absurdly fast that day, man. Like it, it was, it was it was wild. But like then then I okay, funny story, man. So I'm I'm sitting in in the in the bar down there at a Lucas like around Lucas Oil stadiums in downtown Indy and right next to me I didn't know it, it was Tyquan Thornton who's now with the New England Patriots It's Tyquan Thornton's entourage and yeah, so yeah. um they're they're all the receivers are running their 40s and all that and then they come back from break because they didn't show Tyquan Thornton's 40 live and, and they bring it in and they're like okay uh just letting you know this crazy thing happened mm-hmm. and they show the time on the screen four to one and the place blows up right and and wow. it's just like no way did he just do that and his entourage is having a whole jerry Maguire moment they're all they're all just like show me oh, the yes. money yes they're like calling him up <laughs> calling his agent like show me the money we just got paid and he did get paid like because he got yeah. he got drafted over freaking george pickens in the second round right That's but great. it's like but but like that's the wild thing, man. It's just like sitting there and you watch these people run. You watch the on-field workouts, and it's like it's your job to decide, like, okay, do I think this guy is going to help me win a Super Bowl? Because that that's right. the only question that you're asking when you're drafting these guys, right? That's it. Yeah. Can that guy help me win a Super Bowl? It's wild. It's su- it's such a it's such a crazy science.
0: Yeah, man, That's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, Kyrie, it's not about anything else. You know, whether or not we can win the AFC championship and then get ourselves to a Super Bowl and win it. You know, you don't want to just get there. You actually want to win it, you know. So you're trying to bring guys in that's going to be difference makers and guys that are going to be consistent guys, you know, week in and week out and day in and day out. And they're going to be good citizens and good role models as well, you know. But um, what Ravens do a great job of, and they play a personnel department, is just trying to figure out you know, who is actually a Ravens, you know, who is actually a yes. Raven, like who has that personality, who could fit in in the locker room, who fits in with these guys, does his personality match? Is he a little bit too weird? Is he a little bit too different? Is he a standalone guy? Is he's a loner? Is he too quiet? You know, you know, they, they want to know all those things, you know, so you can hear people. I remember Dion said some stuff back, you know, a little while ago when he was talking about how they recruit guys to go to college and people was all appalled. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, I can't believe he said that, you know, they're looking for this type of quarterback that has this type of family background. What does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with everything, you know, and it's like that across the board, you know, from colleges, uh, from D2 colleges or D3 colleges all the way up. You know, even JUCO colleges, they're trying to find out your family history, your family background. They want to know if you're single family home, mom and dad's in the house, you know, if the, the kid got some dirtiness, some grittiness to him. You know, they want to know that stuff. And it's the same thing in the NFL. They want to know who they're giving these millions of dollars to, these hundreds and thousands of dollars to. They're not going to just give that money to anybody that they cannot trust. And they want guys that's going to be responsible and guys that's going to show up on time and work every day, guys that's not going to be late, guys who who, you know, who has enough structure in their life to understand what structure and discipline is and guys that are high character guys, you know, to be on their team, to go out here and play week in and week out. But they also want to have some guys that got some dog in them. The yeah. guys that's going that's, that's, if they got into a bar fight, they're going to end it. You know, it's, they, they're looking for those guys. They want the guys to make sure that they're going to come out here and bring all that energy into the field and nowhere else. You know they're disciplined enough to put it on the field and nowhere else, and and um, it's important, man. It's really, really important to have the right type of guys in your locker room, cause you know they they've been saying since before we was born, you know one seat one bad seed or ruin the whole patch, right? One bad apple will ruin the whole batch of apples, you know. So, it's the same thing in the NFL. They know if you put one bad guy in the locker room, he could ruin your entire locker room. And it becomes a cancer, and it goes from one guy to the next guy to the next guy to the next guy. Before you know it, you got a group of guys that are complaining about stuff that don't have anything to do with football. And um, they're not focused the way they should be. So, um, The Ravens front office does a great job of that. You know, Joe Ortiz, you know, George Cocaine is the head of player personnel. And they do a phenomenal job, man. I, I, I love I always take my hat off to those guys. And they, they're the same guys that came and got me. You know, I remember them way back from my combine and my pro days and all that type of stuff, man. And I appreciate them, you know, for the things they're doing in the front office because they make the Ravens who they really are. You know, everybody thinks the coaching staff is the one that go out to recruit these players. It's really the player the personnel department. The coaching staff don't really have much to do with it at all. You know, the player personnel department, they go and recruit. They go find these guys. They find the best players out there, and they try to make sure they put on that purple and black jersey and go represent the city of Baltimore in the best way
1: possible. You know what? Like, it, it reminds me, number one, like – i want to ask you one more question before before we dip out but you're talking about how it's like it's really like that at every single stage how like it is like how much they want to know about your background like i i feel like i didn't really think about this for the longest but i had to imagine it was part of it when i got recruited uh to go out to Washu in st louis you know like I, i went out there like three different times and like on the first the first time, like they specifically like, am- like had my dad come with me. And it's like that's probably part of it, right? It- it's like it I'm is. over here. It yeah, it- it's like they they literally wanted to like see my dad with me. And like we watched film, like we watched like a whole presentation and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And right. And, and, and it's like, it's not just about like, oh, yeah, just like fly your kid out there and then like, you know, I'm gonna talk to you one on one. Right. And so and so it's like to have that experience. Like, I feel like I did not think about that until you said it. And, and they that- they
0: pry They really do. Kyrie, they, they pry They want to know who your mom is, who your dad is, how old are they? Are they together? You know, do, do your mom got a boyfriend or dad got a girlfriend? They want to know what jobs they have, how long they've yeah. been at their jobs, you know, how many brothers and sisters you have, you know, what, what, you know what, are, what are those kids like? They want to know everything about you. If you, you got a girlfriend, what's her name? Who was her mom and dad? We're like? They ask you every question underneath the book. They're trying to figure out who you are. And they also want to know who the decision maker is in your family too. Yeah. If your dad is the decision maker for you, and it's not you. They want your dad to be on campus. If it's your high school coach, bring your high school coach. Yeah. We want him to be on campus because we want to we want to persuade him just as much as we want to persuade you. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's how it goes. The NFL is no different at all because they're about to draft you on the biggest stage possible. Basically. They want to know exactly who you are and who's the decision makers and how you th- see things. If they give you money, are you going to support the whole family or are you going to give it all away? You know, they want to know everything, man. So that's how it goes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, i literally didn't think about that until you said it and especially with the nfl's higher stakes right because you're talking about potentially millions of dollars and i mean particularly if you're talking Mm -hmm. about if you're talking about like you know day one two draft picks and stuff like that it is literally millions of dollars you know what i'm talking about and then if you're signing them to a second contract right you're thinking about that stuff when you draft a guy like you know if you, you see somebody like you're not just thinking oh yeah we'll take him for like four years. And then after that we're we're good or like whatever you're thinking about when I draft this guy, I could see, I could see him here for a long time, but yeah. real, real quick, I want to ask you before, before we hop out, you're talking about, you know, drafting guys or like bringing guys in that fit the culture that like are Ravens that, mm-hmm. that belong on this team. And I want to ask you in your time with the Baltimore Ravens, who was the most? I mean, like maybe the answer is obvious because I can think of maybe Ray Lewis. Be, yeah, I was like, <laughs> who is the most Ravens guy ever? It is Ray Lewis? Yeah, um, I, I think.
0: I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of names that they kind of pop up to mind, but you know, Ray Lewis was the heartbeat of the whole city, man. And you can't, you know, as much as I can say Ed or Suggs or Jonathan Ogden or, you know, yeah, I, I can go. That's a good
1: name right there, Jonathan Ogden.
0: Yeah, I can go down the line and just name guys. You know, Chris McAllister. I was just spent some time with Chris about two weekends ago up in Baltimore. You know, but I mean, God,
1: Ray, we, Ray, we, Ray 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 on the show. I remember Chris McAllister. I remember watching him. Can we get him? Let's go. Yeah, Chris
0: is a dog. I would love to get Chris on. I'll call Chris and I'll see if I can get him on. But um Ray Lewis is definitely. He was definitely. I mean, I can't. I can't say it enough, bro. I mean, he started to find. He started with the franchise in '96. And um, you know, he had been there for the for twenty years, you know, and he is to me. He was the heartbeat of the entire city. I seen more fifty two jerseys than any other jerseys I've ever seen, and um, and he was just the guy that the Ravens embraced. And you know, through the grit, through the through the the, the nastiness, to the the South Florida boy, coming you know coming all the way to Baltimore from the University of Miami, you know, he was he was everything that Baltimore you know exemplifies. You know, he was a classy guy. You know, spoke very well spoken. You know, a lot of passion. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's the city and the heartbeat of the city of Baltimore. You know, he's Charm City. He's a charming guy, and went out there and knocked your block off week in and week out. And that's kind of where Baltimore is. You know, it's a charming city. You know, but if you get caught slipping, to get your you'll get your block knocked off really quick. You know, so as cool as it is, it's it's just as much as gritty and dirty as it as it you know as you would ever never never ever believe.
1: I, I can't even tell you how many times like I've watched like, like most like they, they would do like those NFL top 10 lists of like, like number 10, like, you know, most feared players of all time. And like Ray Lewis was on the list. They mm-hmm. like go through the list of like all these people that he just like freaking derailed. Right? And and, right. and, and, and just like put just. They thought they were bad up until Ray hit them. And then, and then like their career trajectory just changed. I'm also remembering this play where like Chad Johnson was mic'd up. And he, you know, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Everybody knows what
1: you're talking and, about. Everybody. And, yeah. and, he, and he's just like, I tried to crack Ray.
0: <laughs> and it's just yeah, like. I, you know what play I remember more than anything? We, um, we had a game and we was going to Pittsburgh to play Pittsburgh. And it was a bunch of locker room stall material locker room stall material is when somebody says something put their foot in the mouth before you actually play the game mm-hmm. and, you know we had a lot of we had a lot of stuff stuck stuck up on like the locker room yeah, um, bulletin, board and, materials. yeah bulletin board material stall we i was on the bathroom stalls yeah. when you go take a, a crap you look up and it's, and it's right yeah. there you can read it you know it's it's over your urinal so you can read it while uh-huh. you take out you know you know and it's it was just one of those things somebody rashad mendenhall has said something uh-oh and we went into a Pittsburgh. You know, he's he a starting always, running back at the time. He was
1: always talking too much for not being that good. He's yeah. still kind of like that. You still kind of like that. Sorry.
0: I, yeah. Ky- Kyrie, I, I remember Ray hit him so hard that he broke his collarbone.
1: Yeah, that's right. He broke, he broke his shoulder.
0: That same game. I was like, oh, my God. You know, like. Like, you know, I, I go against this guy every day. Like, he's so technical in practice. I, I Ray probably hit me hard twice in five seasons of me being there. You know, like, in practice, he takes care of his teammates. He takes care of his player. He's not trying to go – even when we go live, like, he plays with his hands for the most part, keeping people away from him, keeping people off of him. But then when he come downhill, he come downhill like a locomotive. And he got – he he put his 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 beam on, on, on Mendenhall, man, came downhill and hit him so hard in the hole – and the kid got up, couldn't even move his right arm, and I think he, he broke it. I think it was his right collarbone. It might have been his left, but I think it was his right collarbone. He broke, snapped it in two right there in the middle of the game. And I was like, oh, my God. Did you see that just now? Like, I'm watching this stuff. I got a front row seat on the sideline doing offense, you know, doing defenses on the field. And I'm watching this live. I'm like, bro, this 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 kid probably never seen anything else to nobody else in this league. He wrote yep. his own death ticket.
1: Yeah, I mean, that 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 it ended his season and I yeah. I, feel, I feel like that more or less like cuz cuz I think he he had he, he had been having some some decent games with Pittsburgh before that. And then I feel like just after, after that, I don't know that I heard much of anything after that. You know, I don't remember him ever coming back from. The the other hit that I remember of Ray was it, it was it was i think i want to say it was like a divisional like a divisional round game or something like that that like late in the season it was in like 2008 or something like that ravens versus titans and a marred hall fullback catches catches a pass in the flat like going mm-hmm. toward the sideline and he like he like cuts it up the sideline and ray just comes in like detonates his brother so hard his helmet flies off mm-hmm. and and then and then like you know, Hall gets up and all that, and, he, and he's like, you know, trying to be like, yeah, like whatever. And uh, you know, the the announcers were just like, and you know who hit him? And it's like in unison, they were like Ray Lewis, and it's like, yeah, I mean, who else? I mean, I mean, he just he just flat out like any any mere mortal is like getting is dying if he if he hits him like that.
0: Yeah, I just looked it up on YouTube. It says Ray Lewis Titanic hit on Ahmad Hall.
1: Yeah, I mean. <laughs>
0: yeah titanic hit
1: now now i feel like i got i gotta go ahead and and, and re watch this mattress because it because it's because it's been a minute it's like you're gonna hear the sound in the background but it's like
0: yeah i was oh, there yeah. that game i Here's had a, a good game that game i remember that
1: game hey what's up see see this, this is what you're like on the field you're on the field for this yeah but it's, it's yeah. like on the one yard line swings it out in the flat and just oh dear god he tried to cut it back he don't try his helmet off. Don't try to off. don't try to cut it back. That was that was uh, that was a poor life decision.
0: Yeah, it, he got a chance to call his people and tell his people about this hit.
1: Yeah, I mean you just you just be like, Hey man, I got hit by Ray Lewis one time and I and I got up.
0: You know, he almost got to be thankful that Ray hit him because the next hardest hit on the team, probably the hardest hit on the team, was right behind him, Bart Scott. <laughs> you know, so he probably he probably got lucky that Ray actually. Hit him right there.
1: <laughs> Bar Scott had a lot of malicious intentions, bro.
0: He did. That's why we call him the mad backer.
1: Oh boy. That's my yeah. guy. I love Bart. No, that that made that makes a lot of sense. And, and if there and there's one other thing that that I low key love about Bart Scott and again, like I'm I'm in Boston, you know, I'm in Patriots land. Bart Scott's beef with the Patriots from his time with the Jets will never die. He will <laughs> never stop talking junk about the Patriots until he dies. Like that's that's forever beef. Okay. You really- know
0: where it started though? You know where it started at? What's up? It started in Baltimore. I can remember a game. The Patriots were undefeated, and they came to Baltimore. We we wasn't playing that well. I think Steve McNary got hurt or something that year, or whatever it was. Somebody was down. Our quarterback wasn't wasn't the best version of himself that year. It could have been um Cal Bowler, but the Patriots came to see us. We wasn't on top of the world like we normally are, and we was kind of um we we was fighting our way back from a bunch of injuries. That was my first game back from a major foot injury that kind of ended my career. And um, I scored. I scored what I thought was the game-winning touchdown. But that game, we broke a record. I think for most penalties in the NFL game, and it was versus the Patriots. And Bart felt like you know, like they was like like the referees was point shaving. They was kissing Brady's butt. But but I scored, which I which I thought was the game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. And Brady comes back down like a minute and fifty seconds left on the clock, and they get like a pass interference, you know, call that would have ended the game. For us, we would have won the game. And they they gave us a pair like a phantom pass interference call. I want to say it was against Corey Ivy. And um, they called it a holding call or something like that. It was either Corey, Corey Ivy or Ronnie Prude or something like that. And everybody thought it was bull crap. We watched it on a big screen. You heard a whole you hear the whole stadium at MET Bang, like, oh you know, like one of those moments. Yeah. And they threw the flag, Bart picked the flag up and threw it into the stands. You know, and that's how he got the name Mad Backer, because he picked up the flag that the referee threw and threw it up into the stands. And then they, they gave him a personal foul penalty for that. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they they end up winning the game with a Brady throw. And, you know, we end up losing that game. Man. But it would have been the team that knocked them off their horse, their high horse. They went all the way to the Super Bowl that year undefeated and then lose the game in the Super Bowl. I think mm-hmm. against the Giants and, and the Tyreek Hill catch where he caught the ball on his helmet. Not how we killed David,
1: David Tyree, David
0: Wait. Tyree. Yeah. He yeah, caught to, the ball on his helmet. This, I think it was that, 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 that year. To
1: this day. Yeah. 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 That, that would be it to this day. Like I remember where I was when I watched when I saw that play and like what I did, it was one of those moments where like you are so like just stunned by the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I realized because because the people I was watching with like wait a second did he catch that but I I knew he caught it I saw that ball didn't hit the ground I like ran out of the room and I'm like this uh, I just I had someone you got to leave the scene because you just don't even realize you just can't even stand what you just watched and then and then like they throw the touchdown to Plaxico Burris and I just I cannot believe what I am seeing I can't believe they're about to do this Um, and then and then a couple of years later, that was that was the wild thing, too, is that the Giants did it to him again. And Eli hits that throw, that like cover two whole shot throw. That is like, I swear to God, that's one of the best throws I've ever seen. And it's like, Eli Manning did that. It's not like Eli Manning, it, it was like terrible, right? But it's like, right, he's he was like average to above average, like at his best. But but I swear, get him in a Super Bowl. And he and he does that, you know, and and that yeah, beats the he Patriots.
0: Was, he was definitely above average. I I played with some average quarterbacks. He was he was way above average. All right, you
1: know what? <laughs> I, 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 I he didn't
0: I, look like it visually. Yeah, but physically, he he was he was way above average. I mean, IQ wise way above yeah. average
1: yeah and well, yeah. see that and see that's the thing right when when we look at quarterbacks like so often like we look at we look at like stats production or, or whatever like you got the wow factor and nothing right. about eli manning said wow factor at all right like, he's well, consistent
0: he's just he very consistent and he didn't put you in a situation where you lose games and yeah. he could win a game or two for you you know oh, which is oh, which says he,
1: a lot in the nfl yeah he could win a game for yes. You see, you see, oh my God. Because with quarterbacks, like there's a lot of just like you talk about average, there's a lot of bad quarterback play. Yes. Like, there's a lot of quarterback play where it's like if you try to ask that dude to win a game, he is actively gonna screw it up, right? You
0: and, know, I, I fight this battle all the time. I fight it with my 18-year-old son, you know, Kyrie. Like everybody in the NFL is, is so talented, right? I just feel like everybody don't don't go with every offense, you know. As a player personnel department, you gotta put guys in your system that actually goes with your offense and defenses. And I don't think none of these guys are uh, are not talented enough to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah. They just not in the right system sometimes or don't have the right coach that believe in them and they, not, they and they kind of lose confidence in themselves over time. These all these guys in the NFL, they led somebody to something. You know, to something great and they was the best in their division, they was all, you know, they was they was really 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 good at playing the game of football. That's how they got to the NFL. All the bad guys have been weeded out already. This is the cream of the crop when you get to the league. So, I, I it's so hard for me to say these guys suck because I know they could be good any given day, you know. Yeah, yeah, they could be great any given day.
1: Well, I mean, think about it, right? Like Baker Mayfield, we wanted to throw him off a cliff <laughs> after after how how <laughs> he's winning Cleveland, and now, now all of a sudden he's a backup with the Rams, and he comes in on like two days preparation and goes and wins a game, right? Like like yeah. stuff like that is not supposed to be possible, but it is possible because these guys are no talented. pressure. And it's and it's literally literally any given Sunday like that that's why that's why yeah. we say that and I mean okay for some people when you're talking about like okay Kendall Hinton coming in playing quarterback for the Broncos a couple of years ago like when he's a wide receiver and he doesn't play quarterback anymore like okay may, maybe not that that's not necessarily what we mean by any given Sunday but right. it's like you, you just, these guys these guys can play the game and and it, it, you just get a rhythm and sometimes it works out, but real quick. Okay. Real, real quick. Last thing, because I just can't stop, uh, like coming up with new questions. Okay. We're talking about Bart Scott with the forever beef against the Patriots. Is there any team you got a forever beef with?
0: Um, it would, it would be the Pittsburgh Steelers for me. Like the, I mean, the Ravens and the Steelers beef is, is, I mean, it's probably one of the probably one of the most toughest beefs ever in the history of the NFL and um, you know, every team you play for, you got a different beef. You know, the Jets was the Dolphins and the and the Buffalo Bills. When I was in New York with the Jets, yeah. You know, in, in Tampa, it was everybody. It was us. Versus, it, was, it was it was us versus the world. And then Baltimore, you kind of had that same vibe. But the AFC was such a tough division when we played. You know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. You know, all those beefs were real. You know, and then but the beef against Pittsburgh, it was it was so much of a mutual respect. You know, amongst. Amongst thieves almost, you know, because I always felt like we was the back, the black sheep of the league. Nobody really liked us. Not even not even in our own stadium, like referees would come in and not like us, you know. So it was like, oh, they're going to the freaking Ravens again. It's like, you no, know, <laughs> we, we never got a break. It felt like we never got a break. The ball never really bounced our way. We just took everything. We took everything from everybody. We dressed in all black, black helmet, black unis, black socks, black cliques. Literally so like,
1: like straight up black Air Force Energy. Like that right. was literally straight up black ball. air. That's a that's a
0: really good statement, right there. Kyle like, like literally, black like, like
1: black uniform, all black, everything. Like y'all yeah. were the living embodiment of black Air Force Energy. Yeah,
0: we was ninjas. We we was real ninjas, like 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 back in the days where we was in the shadows, hiding in the shadows you know, taking stuff and, you know, you know, sneaking up on you. And we taking it, we taking your candy, we taking all your lunch money, everything, you know, we was Debo, you know, so nobody really liked us. Nobody rocked with us that way. So, I mean, the Steelers was the only team that would probably try to shut us up and actually do it sometimes effectively. And we knew that was going to be an all out brawl, like battle, you know, like gladiator type stuff back in the arenas, back in the day, we fighting to the death you know, to let the best man win. Somebody was almost guaranteed to get knocked out every game and get carried off on a stretcher. You know, we went and played football the gladiator way when we played against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, and I and I have a lot of love for Pittsburgh. You know, I had a lot of love for those guys. A lot of my former teammates played for Pittsburgh as well. You know, so I got a ton of respect for them. I think they had a ton of respect for us, man. And just it became a mutual love hate relationship for a long
1: time. And it still is you know, it's, it's wild because I feel like it's those North teams, man. And I mean, like, I I understand that it's like divisionally, you always got beef with the people that you play all the time. They're always your rivals. Mm -hmm. They're your division. But I feel like when I, when I think of rivalries, like I think of, I think of like that, what you just described between Mm -hmm. the Steelers and the Ravens and I think bears Packers, you know, like, like, like stuff like that, where it's just like y'all, like it's not just like oh like i hate the vikings or whatever i hate this team it's like no (laughs) i hate you i despise everything about you it it like it makes me sick when we lose to you like thinking like or just like even thinking about you pisses me off right like like that that's the kind of stuff that like as a competitor gets your blood boiling like to to that point where you're just like i i want to go and like not just like, I don't just want to beat you. Like, I want to beat your ass. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: That was it. That's the game for me. And, you know, the, the player that I hated the most was probably at the time was Tom Brady. You know, yeah. like, I feel like I lost a lot of Super Bowl opportunities because of that guy. And um, it, it's not like I hated him as a person, but it's just as a player. It's like, he's the guy you hate to see come play you. You know, you think you win a game and then he do some old, Mac, you know, miraculous type mess where he leads his team down the field with 30 seconds on the clock puts him in field goal range and hit a 40-yard field goal to win the game when nobody else could possibly make that happen in the NFL. He can. And, um, you know, I don't know how the guys get open. It's like you got the best defense in the league with the best pickoff artists back there sitting back there waiting on you to try to throw a deep, and he find a way to set your set and bait your guys to do something that they normally wouldn't do. And um, he just found a way. I, I hated it against him and the Patriots, man. They, they always had a, a tough group of guys that played smart, played intelligent, and um, just was good football players. And I felt like Belichick always found a way to use his guys um, the right way. Rex Ryan was like that, too. Like, Rex Ryan on defense, he just found a phenomenal way to use every player to the maximize their, their ability. And um, they all had plays, and they all played off each other and just complemented each other well. You know, so I think Pittsburgh is definitely my number one team, and Tom Brady was my number one player.
1: Man, look, I – I think I could just like go on for like another hour or so. Mm-hmm. We got to leave this off. Right. We got to save some for the next time. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, because 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 we're we're gonna have more training camp stuff to talk about. We are gonna have more stories, but this is so fun. Like seriously, like again, football nerd over here, really enjoying the hell out of this. Okay. But Joe Daniel, thank you so much once again for doing this, this our second episode together. I am loving the vibe. I hope that all of y'all listening to this are loving it too. This is the Believe in Ravens podcast. We're gonna be with you all season. Hope you enjoy it. Subscribe, check us out on Twitter and we'll catch you next time.